right. Uh, man. How do you start? How do you start an episode <laughs> like this? <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at the Kool-Aid man yeah. right now, and if I don't know how to feel about it. That's uh, a sneak peek in my next album cover. Just oh, for you. <laughs> nice. Don't drink that Kool-Aid, man. Um, <laughs> uh, welcome to the Pot Charles Cinecast, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and uh, I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird one today. We're trying to get through some really tough times that are going on right now. Um, so I will apologize from the get-go if we're not full speed ahead with our normal, usual, cheery, chipper selves. But, you know, stuff is real in the world right now. And uh, I think before we go forward, I will have to say that, um, you know, we can't be silent on these issues. I know people sometimes look to places like this to be like solace or, you know, for a way to escape. And I promise you, we're going to give you that in this episode. And also this week, the same day this episode goes out, I'm releasing another episode for free for all the people who uh, don't subscribe to our Patreon, where we covered RoboCop. It's just funny time right now. Uh, And I have to say that, um, you know, we can't be complicit. We can't be silent. We have to say we have to stick up for things because we do have a voice and I know that rubs people the wrong way sometimes, but you know, I don't agree with people trying to silence people who have a voice uh, mm-hmm. because they want to, you know, say something politically charged and uh, you know, because if you're silent, then the people that you're being silent towards have that airway you know, that open airway for them to speak in your place. So I will say, uh, I'm from America and right now things have been going on in my home, home state and in my country have been pretty appalling and, uh, I don't agree with it. And I think without a doubt, black lives matter. And I think as Prince Charles cinema, we all sort of agree with this. Um, we just want, people to just do what they can to get informed and to you know try to help out in some way so there are places you can go to you can look it up yourselves you can look up black lives matters get into the causes or you can visit blacklivesmatters.card.co which is black lives matters with an s on the end of matters.card c-a-r-r-d.co and it'll give you plenty of links to you know send you in the right direction of how you can help out and do a hell of a lot more than what I can do besides just saying this. And if I lost you along the way, I'm sorry, but I mean, I can't be silent this week. Um, so I apologize, but I'm not sorry because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I said, I can't be complicit. But anyway, uh, with me this week is my boy, my co-host, my, uh, adopted stepson, He's here again, Boy Wonder, uh, Han Solo to my Chewbacca. It is Phil. Hey. Uh, that was a really lovely intro. Of my, um, good to hear. And if we did lose anyone, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also this week, uh, for the first time on the podcast, we have 
Chloe Johnson. How's it going, Hello. Chloe? I'm okay, as I guess, I think, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> How's lockdown treating you? Uh, you know, I'm doing okay. I, I, I've been doing. So- oh, I signed up for this um, writing, this playwriting masterclass thing, um, where you have to write a ten-minute play. And um, if it's good enough, it'll be entered into this online festival thingy. So I'm hoping that, like, what I submit is, like, at least half readable. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I've been exercising more. Uh, that's it. Trying to fight off the existential dread. Yeah. That's it. I don't know. I'm, I'm okay, I guess. I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us can relate to that. Yeah, Definitely. So Chloe's uh, a front of house member at the Prince Charles, and actually Chloe, you're like one of the newer members, not yeah of the latest batch, I don't believe, but you're relatively new. You started just yeah. before Christmas. I, right? I came in, yeah, December. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't do training anymore, and I used to train people. So that means I, admittedly, have only had. I don't know, like a handful of conversations with you, Chloe. Yeah, they're all like really brief. You're like yeah. walking past and I was like, oh, hey. And you're like, hey. And then you just disappear into that little door. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I work upstairs and I'm I'm bad about like leaving my desk except for just coming down to get water or like make my lunch. But other than that, <laughs> I'm just working kind of nonstop when I'm at the cinema. So I don't really have... The greatest grasp of who Chloe is, <laughs> which is a sad thing. Um, okay. But that's what this podcast is for, is for, you know, not only, you know, you guys to get to know who the people who come on the podcast are. It's also me today, which okay. is nice because uh, I'd like to get to know Chloe better. And, you know, this stupid lockdown stopped me from getting to know a lot of our staff that are relatively new to the cinema better so um chloe how'd you find out about the prince charles cinema uh i already knew it existed and um i i think i've been there a few times uh it was i think the first time was uh i think 2017 for london film festival and all the other times i've just been for london film festival uh i really like the atmosphere and everything um i don't know what else to say <laughs> um, yeah, <that's> cool. <laughs> yeah, but it was just really cool. Are you from London originally? Yeah. Yeah, cool. What side? Because that's important. Uh, north. North. Oh, come on. It's gonna be south. It's gonna be. I'm. <laughs> I'm. I'm bordering on. I'm kind of like bordering on the northeast. Yeah. Side. That, like that. I'm almost <laughs> in Hackney, but I'm not quite in Hackney. That's alright. I mean. I'm just joking, really. There's no need to throw <laughs> London boundaries out there. Like, yeah. oh, what's that, you? Yeah. <laughs> I am pretty loyal to Southeast. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what kind of films do you normally like, Chloe, for the listeners oh, out there? What kind of stuff are you normally into? Uh, well, I can start by saying what I'm not into, if that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really don't like romantic comedies. They're the, it's the absolute worst genre I cannot stand it. There are only like probably like three romantic comedies that I can say I like. I think. I thought you loved I, Love I Actually. Think of one. I haven't even seen Love Actually. All I don't know is that everyone here hates it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a shame. You broke it. You broke my heart there just a second because I do have a 
soft place in my heart for rom coms, even if. Yeah, why did you pick a rom com front to talk about? Yeah, why'd you pick a rom com? <laughs> so strange. Uh, you haven't been at the cinema like too long, but I mean, obviously, you know, you're part of the cinema family and everything. And uh, what's something you miss most about being at the cinema and working there and all that? I just miss vibing with everyone, to be honest. Like, yeah. everyone's so chill. It's so cool. Uh, this is like the first job I've ever had when I can, where I can honestly say I get along with everyone. Mm-hmm. So I miss that. I miss that camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely like an important thing. I know, like when I used to, you know, come to the cinema as as a customer, I would like see the people that work there and stuff, and you'll just be like, oh man, they like seem like really cool people. But once you like actually get in there and you're working, it's just like, wow, man, it's it's just like. I don't know, maybe a spell on the building or something like that when you come in. It's just like everything just feels right. I mean, even from a customer yeah. standpoint, you know, it just like I was on a podcast called the Caged In podcast and I was coming out like next month. Um, we talked about the frozen ground, which is kind of relevant to what we're talking about <laughs> later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it's a really bad film about a serial killer starring Nicolas Cage and John Cusack. And uh, we were talking about the cinema and just how the atmosphere of the cinema and just going to see a film there at the Prince Charles is just so beautiful. And just like watching the film and afterwards, you just know you had a magical moment because all the people inside and everything with you just all you just feel it. It's a vibe. Mm. And uh, yeah, and that also just goes back to the way our staff is. It is a vibe, a good vibe with the staff that uh, just really nice. I miss that place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. We, yeah. We've walked, we did our big walk into central London um, and obviously we walked by the Prince Charles Cinema and it's just, it's sad to see it kind of boarded up, but you still see people kind of stop and stare and take pictures and look at the program uh, and look at the posters and like yeah. make notes of what they want to watch. And it kind of, it's just, it's nice. There's something intangible about that place. Like even our regular they could watch some of the movies we show, like the newer releases. They could watch them anywhere, and they choose to watch them at the print show. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Um, Paul, shout out Paul, told me that shout he saw Paul. you and uh, you and Dusty hanging by the cinema the other day. Yeah, we bumped into him. Uh, I forget why over the weekend. Yeah, um, it was so strange because like we were, we were sat down on the what are they called the bollards outside the cinema. Oh, those we sat down. Weird yeah, blocks. blocks. Yeah, those weird <laughs> blocks. I don't know what yeah. they're for. Um, and we sat there eating uh, a really unsatisfying bagel. Uh, I didn't notice the first. Dusty was like, she said she looked up and two people on a bike like stopped and stared. And she was like, who, who, who are these people? Why are they looking at me? And then like <laughs> Paul like like took off his helmet. And he's like, oh, I know you. <laughs> like people I know. <laughs> I know Tim and... Um, partner and we yeah it's nice yeah. it was really strange again to like meet someone in person in the wild yeah and be like oh, holy shit like how are you and it's like you completely forget like what do you say what do you talk about and all you could talk about is like lockdown and cinema and what's going on but then all you all you really want to know is like how are you <laughs> are you okay <laughs> it's nice it was a nice surprise yeah and it, but it just made me really miss the cinema even more yeah, Paul basically said the same thing. It was just like weird to talk to someone he knows, like, and just be like, "How do I talk to? How do I talk to you?" <laughs> yeah, even like 
you and I talk almost every week, John, but like once once it's gonna be in person, it can be like, what how do we do this again? Yeah. Just like bumping into each other. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a real person? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into a little bit of user feedback. Hey, hey, hey. All right, so we had a couple of nice messages on Twitter. Um, we had our pal Will. He said, impressive, most impressive. Once again, another great show brought to you from a galaxy far, far away or from their front rooms at Tall for All and Far Away Said, that's myself and Phil, are fast becoming the Chewbacca and Han Solo of these fun Star Wars-centric episodes and always make for an enjoyable listen. And then he also, we were trying to figure out like... Uh, yeah, he started a little argument. <laughs> yeah, who was Han and who was Chewbacca? Yeah. Um, I would have taken either, to be fair. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I gave you Han. I would say John's Chewbacca because of all the hair you've got. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a very big bastard <laughs> with <Yeah>. hair. <laughs> <laughs> and like I, I said, the impression, I, yeah. I'm the one who actually tries to go for the Chewbacca impression every so often. And... Uh, <laughs> And also, you lead the episode, so I'll let I you I drive the on. ship. Yeah. You <laughs> don't want to leave. But yeah, thanks so much, Will. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying those. Because there won't be any more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see about a part three. Uh, and also, our pal David on Twitter, he says, so far, I'm loving this episode. Although I'm only 20 minutes in, you guys need to do Godfather part two episode. Thanks for keeping up the good work throughout these strange times. And then he also followed it up with, also, if you can do an episode on Jaws, that would be amazing. <laughs> and uh, here we go, Phil. <laughs> Someone has given us the right. The go ahead. The go ahead. The green light to go Godfather Part 2. Yeah. So bring out the horse's head. <laughs> Revenge of the horse's head. It's happening. <laughs> I'm just, uh, it's just an excuse to watch it. Like yeah. I saw the comment and I immediately watched Jaws. Yeah, and like we we might not even do it. It might be a month away, but I was like, oh, that's yeah, it's just an excuse to watch that again. Yeah, we we kind of covered Jaws a little bit last year because we showed it for a week. But mm. um, I, if I'm correct, I think it was actually David, the same guy, uh, around a year ago when we did Jaws, said, uh, "Can you guys do like a full episode on Jaws?" So we only sort of touched on it. So, you know, He's David. fucking pushy, this guy. Yeah, being pushy, but hey, you know, we're going to give it to you. I think a full episode of Jaws, probably roughly around 4th of July. So be on the lookout for that because that's a bit of a Prince Charles cinema tradition to show Jaws on 4th of July. And we won't be open 4th of July as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll do an episode around that time. So be on the lookout. Stay out of the water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we had a couple of other nice messages on Patreon. And uh, also we had um, a couple of nice emails. I won't read them out this week just because they're kind of long. But I just want to say thank you to uh, all the people out there who you know support us on Patreon. It's, uh, if you want to do your part to support us as well, it's patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. As we say, every month we'll offer you a bonus episode, but hey, we've one-upped ourselves this coming month. We're going to start trying to give you two episodes 
We'll give you a normal promised episode, and then myself and Ariane are going through the whole Fast and the Furious saga. And when we're done with that, we might move on to another series. We'll see what happens. New Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. That's yeah, that's a good yeah. shot. I like those films. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you can head over to patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. We just dropped a Robocop episode. Uh, like I said at the top of the episode, um, this Robocop episode is going to get dropped probably the same day as this episode does because I want to get it out there. It feels kind of important. It's very relevant <laughs> to what's going on. Uh, but if you still want to support us anyway, you can catch uh, a few other episodes that are hanging around on Patreon if you haven't heard them about Showgirls. And what else have we done? Fast and the Furious, plus our future Uncut Fast and Gems. Furious films. Yeah, Uncut Gems. Yeah, so there's some good stuff over there. So go over there. Support us. Let's just get into today's episode because it's going to be a beast of an episode. <laughs> so, Chloe, what did you want to yes. talk about today on the podcast? Uh, David Finch's best film, Zodiac. Nice. Dear Editor. This is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. Ray Smith, don't you have a cartoon to finish? The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Another letter. School children make nice targets. He gave himself a name. Greek. Morse code, astrological signs. This guy's used them all. I like killing people because man is the most dangerous animal of all. How does one do that? I like puzzles. I do them a lot. Got any hard suspects? About uh, 90 an hour. Come up to around 500. You got four crime scenes. Not a single usable print. You can't think of this case in normal police terms. He's breaking the pattern. Lana said you were a cartoonist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing at the gun range? I just want to help. What are you, some kind of boy scout? Eagle scout, actually, first class. Well, I've been thinking. Oh, God, say it There's no evidence, Robert. What do you mean there's no evidence? You have him seen with the ciphers, the military blueprints, the bloody knife. All circumstantial. Why do you need to do this? Because nobody else will. Dave, you made a mistake! Get away from the window. Paul, are you okay? No. Why'd you do it? You put your face out there for him to see. Hello? Who is this? Zodiac was my job. It's not yours. He's still out there, Dave. Killing is his compulsion. It drives him. It's in his blood. Jeez. What? Squirrels. This is the Zodiac speaking. I've begun. I can give you a lift to the service station. Do you always go around helping people in the night? I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was... I certainly wouldn't tell you. Are you sure there's nobody else in the house? There's more than one way to lose your life to a killer. (sighs) That's a tough tagline. Fuck. (laughs) The true story of the investigation of the Zodiac Killer. 
a serial killer who terrified the San Francisco Bay Area, taunting police with his ciphers and letters. The case becomes an obsession for three men, cartoonist Robert Graysmith, reporter Paul Avery, and police inspector Dave Tashi. As their lives and careers are built and destroyed by an endless trail of clues. So as Chloe said, it's David Fincher's film. It's a 2007 true crime masterpiece. And uh, I'll let you get your opinions out real quick, Chloe, but I will go ahead and back you up. And I think it's David Fincher's best film as well. Um, He's got a lot of great films, but I'm with you there. So why do you want to pick that film besides it just being David Fincher's best film? (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like it, it kind of, it, it epitomizes the the serial killer detective movie. It, it yeah, you know, it um it, it helps like focus on the detectives involved. It helps focus on the actual serial killer. It helps focus on the victims, and it does it in a, a brutal but like somehow tasteful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And even though it's like two and a half hours long, it doesn't even feel like it. I don't think. Yeah, it doesn't. It's it is one of those films that's long but doesn't feel as long as it is. It kind of, I, th- I guess, it just flows so nicely. The storytelling's really nice in it, and just goes really quick through and everything. Chloe, when was the first time you saw Zodiac? Uh, I think I was like uh fourteen, fifteen. Ooh, I was like I was sick, um, home from school. I couldn't get up from the sofa. I couldn't sleep. It was like one in the morning. And um, Zodiac just happened to be on TV and it just, I was tired as hell, but it just completely woke me up from how engaging it was. Yeah. Did it freak you out at all? Uh, no, I mean, I've <laughs> I've already seen a bunch of like disturbing films <laughs> by that age. So I, it didn't yeah. exactly like freak me out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, f- I find Zodiac to be a funny one because it is like, it's not meant to be really like, I don't know. It's not a horror film. It's, but it is, I find it to be pretty creepy at times. There are some scenes in it that are like a bit unnerving. Mm -hmm. Um, The basement scene? Yeah, definitely. Definitely the the basement scene. Yeah. The opening scene as well is pretty, pretty scary. Uh, In the car. It's like the tracking shot in the car. It's one of my favorite openings. Yeah. Throughout the film, I mean, yeah, David Fincher did a really good job of like being pretty true to what was going on that case as stated in the synopsis it's uh, based on the real life story of the zodiac killer which to still to this day is an unknown serial killer who was credited with killing five people in benencia vallejo napa county and san francisco respectively between december 1968 and october 1969 while sending a series of taunting letters blood-stained clothing and ciphers to the Bay Area press up until 1974. And all in total, he had claimed to have killed up to 37 people, which could be true, could be bullshit, but he certainly terrified a lot of people and was like one of the most notorious, you know, unsolved serial killers since Jack the Ripper, really. So the film itself, it was written by James Vanderbilt, who uh, <laughs> seemingly peaked too soon after this film because <laughs> I looked into what, you know, he his career, it just got really weird after Zodiac. I mean, he wrote, like, The Amazing Spider-Man, 
Oh no! White House down, <laughs> and then he's known. It, it took for, a turn. <laughs> this is so sad. Yeah, and he's known for rewriting or helping rewrite the first draft of Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> Great, the best Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really know what happened there, but uh, Vanderbilt first read Robert Graysmith's book Zodiac in high school and became fascinated by the book. Uh, he decided he wanted to write a script, and he pitched it to the production company Phoenix Pictures, which are known for producing like Black Swan, The Thin Red Line, and Shutter Islands. Uh, Vanderbilt and Phoenix Pictures producer Bradley J. Fisher, they would actually meet the real Graysmith in 2002 at a premiere of Paul Schrader's Autofocus, which is also based on a Graysmith book. And the deal was made to option rights to Graysmith's book Zodiac and Zodiac Unmasked. Have you guys read any of those books or any Robert Graysmith books? No. 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 Is Robert Graysmith the guy in the movie? Yeah, that's yeah, uh, who um, Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. plays. Cool. No, I haven't. I would like to, though. Yeah. Um, no, I've only watched the movie and like various, you know, serial killer podcasts. Last podcast on the left did yeah. like uh, a little Zodiac. That's, Definitely. So that's, that's, that's my whole research. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, that's, I think, where you'll find a lot of good. A good, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff about Zodiac out there, and I'm aware that this will probably be like just another, you know, drop drip. in the ocean. Yeah, drop <laughs> in the ocean, a drip in the pond. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a f- fascinating story, really. And this film itself is pretty wild. I don't know. This film is incredible altogether. I mean, the writing is great. I ke- I don't know. I guess we'll get into a little bit more, but obviously F- Fincher had a lot to do with how the writing turned out as well. So maybe that's sort of like, I think maybe what happened with this Vanderbilt character, how his career <laughs> turned a bit weird after maybe he just didn't have the right directors with him. That Fincher do the, you know, Fincher does like a hundred takes with actors, right? Yeah. Does, yeah. He do, does he do the same thing with the writer? It's like, <laughs> they can do like a hundred different drafts. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's why it's that good. Maybe. I'll just get into it. David Fincher, he was always the first choice to direct based on his work with seven uh, so originally, Fincher was going to direct an adaptation of James Elroy's The Black Dahlia, which would later be made by, God damn it, who is it, Phil, interrupting our podcast again? It's Brian fucking De Palma. <laughs> <laughs> God, he has to come in and fucking ruin everything. Yeah, every episode, Brian De Palma just Is that the one with in. Josh Hartnett? Uh, I th- oh, that yeah, was bad. I think so. Yeah, it's a really bad movie. Bad. Yeah. I think we got the better one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Before De Palma had it, like Fincher's idea was that, funny enough, it was going to be a five-hour miniseries, but that fell through, and, and then he, you know, took Zodiac. So he wanted to make Mindhunter then. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking. It was like when I read that, I was like, oh, he was, you know, because who knows what's up with Fincher now? I mean, who knows if he'll make another film? We, I don't yeah. know. I mean, Zodiac Two, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's Mindhunter, really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are you guys both fans of Mindhunter? Of course. I love yeah. it. I've only seen a little bit of it, but it's, from what I've seen, I like it. Yeah. I know some people aren't really big fans of it, but uh, I don't know. I, I find it to be absolutely a fascinating series and just really well done. But I mean, I am a big fan of like, you know, 
serial you well, not i'm not a fan of serial killers that sounds weird but i'm interested <laughs> in learning about serial killers because the whole psychology side of things and all that it's an interesting topic mm-hmm. and also i guess maybe i'm white i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you're white and you're into murder porn it's fine <laughs> <laughs> but yeah fincher was drawn to the zodiac story because he grew up near san francisco like about 20 miles from where everything was going on and it was during the zodiac murders and he remembers as a child you know his father telling him about the threats to school children and the buses and all that and uh he basically believed that zodiac was like the ultimate boogeyman uh so he was also really drawn to the unresolved ending that vanderbilt's script had and the fact that it felt like the real case and he wanted Vanderbilt to rewrite the script based on facts from original police reports to dispel any myths and separate fact from fiction. Uh, sorry, that sounded wrong when I said from fact from fiction, <laughs> fact from fiction. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Fincher, Vanderbilt, and producer Bradley J. Fisher they spent eighteen months conducting research into Zodiac murders. They interview witnesses, family members, suspects, retired and active investigators, and only two surviving members, and the mayors of San Francisco and Vallejo. So, I don't know how much they rewrote, but they certainly <laughs> spent a lot of time. Sounds like quite a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, it's worth, it's obviously worth it. I think that's a part of what makes it so cool is that it it seemed really true to life. Yeah. You don't really, um, they don't have to exaggerate things like the actual story. It's really interesting by itself and just yeah. watching it play out over a number of years. It's really, it's a weird one. It, I, I would say it's a really fun movie. It's a hard, I know that's a weird way to describe it, but I find it so watchable, even though it's really heavy, a lot of dialogue, a lot of facts and figures coming at you, and you get it from three different perspectives. And you're sort of trying to solve it with them, even though, you know, there's no real ending coming. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because it's one of those things where I guess most people going into it will know that they're not going to catch that killer at the end, but mm-hmm. they're ready to go along for the ride because, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just fascinating. The whole story itself, you know, you kind of get, you know, entrapped by everything and the whole film sort of closes around you because you're kind of going around i don't know following around the characters we'll get into the cast in a second and stuff but i mean just it was cast really well and obviously Mm -hmm. like just the fact that it uses its three leads as like characters who basically lose everything you know as they are like trying to hunt down this killer and just totally like ruin their entire lives. <laughs> David Fincher, he used all the president's men as a template for Zodiac. I never really thought about that before, but like after reading that, I'm like, wow, that is pretty spot on. Um, yeah, it makes quite a bit of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, if you've not seen all the president's men, it's kind of like the story of the whole Watergate thing with. Uh, the reporters who are determined to get the story at all costs and, you know, basically the whole deep throat thing, if you know about that. And that's the whole story there. It's absolutely phenomenal. Great film. Um, if you've not seen it, it's part of like the Alan, Alan J. Paluka, uh, Pakula. I always want to say Paluka. The paranoia. 
trilogy. Yeah, Paranoia yeah. trilogy. So yeah, it's great. But yeah, and like all the President's Men, he didn't want there to be any backstory for the characters. And I'd never really thought about that much either. And I, I feel like that kind of can be a bad thing for a lot of films. In particular, watching the film The Frozen Ground the day before I watched this so I could do that <laughs> on their podcast is that like everything wrong with what you should do with <laughs> a movie about a serial killer when you're just trying to make it all procedural and horrible and there's no like backstory at all. And this film is like everything right, but there really isn't much backstory to anyone. You don't know much about Robert Gray Smith before, you know, you just, you jump in right in the moment. It just works really well. It does work. I don't, I'm not sure why. Maybe it could, yeah, you're just following the one thing that connects them, which is the, obviously the cake. Yeah. And you kind of get a feel for who they are, just how they interact with each other. And then by the end, you see how they've changed. Yeah. So even if you didn't see them before, you can see their arc from the beginning to the end of the movie mm-hmm. and how it's like the impression changes their life. Yeah. It's sort of like the whole thing, I guess, the thrill of the hunt and stuff. And like, it's funny that the whole idea of Zodiac, like they, they bring up a lot as like his obsession with the greatest, was it the greatest game, the book? Yeah. Yeah. Have you have you guys seen the film The Greatest Game? I haven't actually. No. It's it's I it's so unintentionally funny. It's like <laughs> you <laughs> there's so many scenes where they try to play it straight, but it just it just ends up making you laugh. Yeah. <laughs> what that man? Man with the greatest game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did you know? Uh, <laughs> there's a scene it. where a guy's supposed to be drowning, but he just kind of he just kind of throws himself into the water. He's he's holding on to <laughs> he's holding on to a slab of, of wood, and he just goes help and just kind of throws himself back in. It's like a Titanic thing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like the greatest game. It, you know, obviously it comes up a lot, but it turns out that the Zodiac becomes the greatest game for your like three leads in this <laughs> film as well. You know, it's yeah. Kind of funny. Uh, the one in the same, man. <laughs> it's I don't know San Francisco. Everybody was you know tripping NASA like crazy. You know, <laughs> did it even exist, man? Well, it's like mul- multiple people. That's the theory as well. Yeah, I get. Well, save save your theories. All right, a little same. later, and we'll get into that because we're gonna get to the bottom of it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we're gonna figure out who we're gonna solve call. the case guys yeah yeah uh so fincher would take the project to mgm they they passed on it because it was going to be too long they would only give them two hours and 15 minutes in length um and they worried that it was going to be too talky and all that sort of stuff little action <laughs> so eventually warner brothers and paramount agreed to split production and distribution costs fincher had a more flexible length but still, the studio was really concerned about the large amount of dialogue and the lack of action. The shooting script was like 200 pages long. Oh, shit. And to prevent any problems with length with that much like script, basically, Fincher decided to just ask the cast members to speak faster. <laughs> <laughs> come on, just come on. I'm going to get through I figured this. out. What if they just spoke <laughs> And then we'd go through the pages quicker, am I right? <laughs> Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Do no, it again. No, no, no. No, no. Start on your left foot. No, no, no. Not that one. The other one. 
Okay. No, no. <laughs> Dude, try it with the hat. Did no, you, no, do no, it I again. Change my mind. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew this actually, but Fincher decided to use a digital camera for this this whole shoot, basically, with the exception of the slowed down shots during the the murder sequences because they had to use a traditional high high speed film camera camera for that. But um, for most of the film, it's a Thompson Viper film stream camera. And he previously used it like on a Nike Hewlett Packard Heineken and Lexus commercials. Like he, so he had some experience with it. So I guess he was like, all right, let's do a film. And it was the first production to actually employ that type of camera and it's native film stream mode, which records an uncompressed video stream, which allowed for pretty exceptional quality. I mean, when you look at it, I don't know. I, I don't know if they touched on extra extra film grain or whatever, but I would have never like noticed that that wasn't on actual film. And then it was just like a digital film. Um, but with that, there was also a lot of CGI in the film. But did you guys know that like basically none of the blood in the film was actually real? Like there was... Well, obviously not real, but you know, like it wasn't even like when they were shooting, they didn't have blood on any of the characters or anything. All that was all added in post. That was done really well. Usually CGI blood is done like really, really badly. Like mm. the, the physics of the blood splatters is just so like conspicuous. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. I didn't even, didn't even think about it with this one. Yeah. And I mean, mind you, this is 2007 as well. So, I mean, like that's, for me, sometimes I'm like, that's not that long ago, but I mean, that is kind of a long time ago now. I get so, it. Well, you know, Fincher is sort of a perfectionist, obviously. Yeah. And that's part of, I don't know if this is his first one on digital, but he makes that change quite quickly because he was frustrated with the inconsistency of film, right? Like you can spend yeah. the whole day shooting and then there's something in the gate and it's like, oh, my whole shot is out of focus now. And he hates yeah. that. And it's the same sort of, you can see the same sort of thinking here. It's like, well, I don't trust the squib, right? The blood's going to go everywhere. I want it to fall a very specific way. He's probably recreating the crime scene photos as well. Yeah, definitely. It's all very meticulous. He's like a serial killer, really. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the Zodiac killer. I feel David out. Fincher is the Zodiac. <laughs> oh, my God. Done it. <laughs> <laughs> Only took like 40 minutes. Case closed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. He basically was not a fan of the way, he, particularly in dailies, when you had to wait for mm-hmm. everything to kind of come through and then you'd, you'd see it and then it was just kind of like, eh. And with digital, he could just immediately look back on playback and kind of decide um, if he liked it or not. Mm-hmm. Also, there was numerous shots that were, you know, in CGI that like a lot of the shots like where they showed the Golden Gate Bridge, that was all done CGI. Um, I mean, if you if you watch something like Fight Club, you you know, the ending scene and everything, like you can get an idea that like that looks pretty amazing still to this day and that David Fincher knows what he's doing. So when you watch something like Zodiac and the opening shot is actually just CGI and it looks kind of incredible. Oh, San Francisco, like when it zooms in with all the buildings. That, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. That's such a great shot. That shot, which I think is one of the most iconic shots of the film, where it's over top of the taxi when uh, yes. Zodiac's about to kill, yeah. uh, what's his name, Paul Stein, mm. um, in the taxi. And it just does that weird, like, 
twist so real like quick the and goes right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like, like follow it. It's like on a grid. Yeah, it's really like a jarring thing to watch, but at the same time, it's so cool. Like it kind of makes you feel kind of queasy. So yeah, kind definitely. of the point where you're just slightly on edge for some reason. You don't know why until yeah. It's as that. if he's taking you with him. <laughs> like yeah, you know? exactly. You're yeah. stuck in the car yeah. with them. Definitely. Horrible. You know the. That scene in that scene uh, when they stop and they murder, like you know, the Zodiac murders the taxi driver Paul Stein. That whole shot was done in a studio, and then the backgrounds, the San Francisco backgrounds of, uh, of the neighborhood of Washington and Cherry Streets, was digitally added back in because basically the neighbors were like, "Oh, we don't want you guys to film here." <laughs> that yeah, sort of stuff, so. that's not cool, man. Yeah, that's really great. That like invisible sort of CGI. It's really amazing. Yeah. Well, let's get into the cast a little bit. So, obviously, is Robert Graysmith, the guy who wrote the book that inspired this. He was a cartoonist that worked for The Inquirer, and he is played by Jake Gyllenhaal in this film. The Bubble Boy. The Bubble Boy. <laughs> what are you guys' uh, thoughts on Jake Gyllenhaal? I love him. I love him. Too. I'll have to fight but, Tamir over him because I know Tamir's trying to claim him. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. So, he's, he's so great, and he's so um, like he starts off as like the really sweet and innocent one mm-hmm. of the group, and then slowly you're you're him, more, and more obsessive. Exactly, and you're him the whole time because yeah. you you're watching from a distance in the background, and you know you're throwing theories sort of along with him yeah. until he's the only one who can. <laughs> And it's the same thing with you. You're like, no, no, no. I have to. I have to find out. He's great. He's really yeah. good. And I love um, his interaction with his uh, with his wife and family, like Chloe Savigny. Yeah, Savigny. I think I, I don't know. Savigny. Oh, he said Savigny. Yeah, we all know who we're talking Chloe about Savigny. here. Yeah, Savignon Blanc. I don't know. Savignon. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up at the PCC podcast. Is it Savignon or Savigny? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah, he's definitely incredible. Uh is especially in this film. I mean David Fincher kind of and it's sort of like hits on what you were saying, Phil. Uh he basically said that he really loved Gyllenhaal and Donnie Darko and he knew from Donnie Darko that he could play naive and then he mm. could also play possessed. And that's like exactly the ride that he gets taken on in this film. And uh, we get taken on, basically, because like you said, I do feel like you are most like him. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I would ever, in any other circumstances, I think, want to be Robert Graysmith. <laughs> and I'll get into Robert Graysmith in a bit. Uh, Hall was Fincher's first choice to play Graysmith. And this was all because of a conversation with Jennifer Aniston. Oh, Jennifer Aniston, that's like a completely yeah. like, unlikely person. Yeah, well, were they going out? No, I mean, like Fincher obviously was together. friends with Brad Pitt, and this was probably around uh, the time. I would assume maybe around the time Anderson was with Brad Pitt. I'm not sure. When even was it? This was, I mean, obviously like 2007. The film came out, but they were working on the film for a while. I think you know before. When did Mister and Mister Smith come out? That's when we uh, know it ended. So. <laughs> yeah, I know they're together during. The sort of end of friend. Could he in that one Thanksgiving episode? Yeah. The banger. The banger episode. <laughs> Just shout out now. 
even if they broke up before this, I mean, he probably knew Jennifer Aniston anyway through mm. Brad Pitt. Maybe they were friends. I don't know. They're still anyway. After the divorce, they were still friends. Like they <laughs> kept the children. Yeah. Fincher asked her, what, who are some of your favorite co-stars? And um, she mentioned Gyllenhaal because they were together in The Good Girl and how much she Good loved girl, working yeah. with him. To prepare for the role, Gyllenhaal met with the real Robert Graysmith and filmed him to study his mannerisms and the way he spoke. And this is really funny. We were talking about some CGI and stuff. So hair was digitally added. To the close-ups of Jake Gyllenhaal's knuckles as he like what? draws or he's holding letters because David Fincher felt that his hands were too hairless and pretty. <laughs> he does have very pretty hands. Yeah. Is David Fincher just trying to like out Stanley Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, guarding, <laughs> the, guarding all his details and everything? Yeah. yeah, maybe. I mean, he's definitely, from stuff that I've read the most particular director that we've talked about on this podcast apart from Stanley Kubrick. So yeah, yeah, maybe. That's funny. I wish, you know, the movie had been made like 10 years before and like he didn't have the option and he would have to just glue on <laughs> hair to his hand. And like, oh, just make him wear gloves. Yeah. Just yeah, like Jay. Wolfman gloves. From yeah, just like coming out of that Halloween costume. Just coming out of the sleeve. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so this is pretty funny. Gyllenhaal didn't take the role. Fincher's second option was Orlando Bloom. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> no! No, Come thank on. you. No, thank you. Oh, that would have completely taken down the movie. Yeah, I'm sure he's a fine actor. I'm sure he's okay, but he's not good. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have been very good in this. Exactly, like that. You can imagine the whole film kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next we have Mark Ruffalo's Inspector David Toshi or Toshi 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 Toasty Toshi Yoshi. Another suggestion by Jennifer Aniston because they starred in Rumor Has It together. Jennifer Aniston should be a casting director. Yeah, definitely. She <laughs> she hit the nail on the head. Uh, initially Ruffalo though wasn't really interested in making the film but after he met with Fincher to discuss like some script changes that Fincher was going to be doing and talking about it and everything he was won over so he prepared for the role uh, by researching the case thoroughly he read like every report and book on the subject and then he met the real David Toshi and found out found out that like Toshi had the like perfect recall of details of what happens, like where and who was there and what they were wearing and what he was wearing. And he always knew like everything. It just seared into who he was and it was just a big deal for him. So, mm. like, I'm, I think that the thin line between perfect recall and just being able to make shit up. Because <laughs> it's not like Mark Ruffalo could be like, nah, that didn't happen. He yeah, wasn't well, fucking there. True. I mean... David Toshi is a pretty hilarious character in general anyway. So the real Dave Toshi was actually, he really legitimately was the influence on Steve McQueen's character from the 1968 film Bullet. Uh, McQueen worked with Toshi while preparing for the role. And this was like a year or so before the first Zodiac killing. So that whole joke where they made the, oh the, the, the joke about Bullet in the film, I mean, that was legitimate. The, That's you know, funny. He like wore the um, 
quick draw like holster thing mm-hmm. like for his gun like that would you know if you look up bullet or you've seen bullet you know that Stephen queen wears the exact same thing and that's because mm-hmm. of toshi and he that's was cool. also the inspiration for clint eastwood's dirty harry oh yeah they see it in the movie don't they? yeah which they go to yeah, see in the film. Yeah, yeah and that character faces off against the scorpio which is inspired by zodiac so zodiac, yeah. yeah but yeah toshi is a pretty funny character. I mean, apparently in real life, he was actually writing fan mail to the Zodiac, like amongst all the other people who were writing fan mail in. Did he to, do it as an attempt to try and get a bit more information out yeah, of him? Basically, or, yeah, basically. Yeah, he was basically baiting. And a lot of people thought, because there's so many letters that would come in that weren't authentic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was... Yeah, they were they were worried that like Toshi actually wrote some of those, and he was actually like, I think they sort of touched on it in the film, but I don't feel like it was, it was extremely clear. It was very brief. Yeah, like where he got moved from Homicide, that was the whole thing where he was sort of like, you know, get away from me to Robert oh, Gray yeah. Smith. But, but yeah, I mean, like he did, you know, apparently write some weird letters. He was cleared of writing the you know, fake Zodiac letters, but he did write fan mail. <laughs> he admitted to it, I think, which is pretty funny. But yeah, he, funny he was like such a good detective that he like started investigating himself. <laughs> and he was like, wait, am I the Zodiac? <laughs> I don't remember doing any of that stuff, but like, <laughs> who else could do it? Yeah. Uh, what, what did Mark Ruffalo like to eat in this film, guys? Animal crackers. Crime. <laughs> crime. <laughs> Take a bite out of crime. Uh, David Toshi really did love to eat animal crackers. So, snack time. Snack time. Quarantine. It's snack time. Quarantine. Quarantine. It's snack time. Quarantine. Quarantine. It's snack time. Lockdown. Hey. We need it. We need to get our uh, spirits up, our sugar <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. All right. So I hate that the UK does not have animal crackers. Um, no, we don't. Because that, I love them and that would be a perfect snack for today. So instead, I've got uh, rosemary crackers and I'll just have a couple of these and hate myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tesco's brand rosemary crackers is pretty good. What do you guys bring? Oh, I don't know if this can count as a snack, but it's pretty much all I've been eating. It's just been ramen. Some ramen? Oh, nice. did you get those from work? Uh, I ate those. I actually um, I actually went on one of my walks and I found a Korean shop and they were just selling loads of ramen, so I just stocked up on them. I've nice. got three right here. There's like a pack of five downstairs in the kitchen. It's all I've been eating. Nice. Yeah, I've still got a bunch that. Do you beef up your ramen at all or do you just have it pretty straight? I just have it as it is. I have uh, milk chocolate brioche roll. Mm-hmm. The perfect breakfast treat. <laughs> 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 and uh, But I do have some crackers in the cupboard. That would have been much better. But I forgot. Yeah. Classic. I had some crackers earlier. That count. Maybe you all should have just brought some crackers. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, John, you and I are crackers, so that works. <laughs> <laughs> we are crackers. <laughs> uh. All right, let's move on on to our boy, Robert Downey Jr. 
pre-Iron Man. Oh man, as Paul. Yeah, I've got so much to, sh- to say about Rob Downey Jr. in this. Yeah, go ahead. I think ahead. yeah, Zodiac could serve as a as a fascinating, if not slightly depressing, look at the pre-Marvel film industry. Yeah, yeah. Because if you you know look at Zodiac, look at how it was made, look at the fact that it even exists, look at the length, look at the cost, um, and the cost itself. Like the main three characters, they're all in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. They are right. Yeah. If you try and make it now, it would never happen. Or probably like go to Netflix at the very best case scenario. Yeah, I mean this style of film just fits perfectly in Netflix like wheelhouse right now. That like if it was pushed through, they would just go ahead and you know just shove it that way. You know, like you know, no studio would take that seriously. Yeah, and it's and a it- shame too. It's weird because it's like I almost feel like it's the kickoff catalyst point for the true crime revolution that's really going on where yeah, people sure. are so fucking invested into it and people you know I, I think one thing that really helps is Mindhunter obviously a lot of people love that and that's opened up a lot of people's minds to like a lot of other true crime avenues but without Zodiac you wouldn't have Mindhunter yeah no all the best ones like I at the beginning of lockdown I rewatched uh, True Detective the first yeah. season yes. and that takes a lot of inspiration I think from Zodiac at least yeah. just for the set up a bit um, no but you, Chloe you're right and it's such a shame not shame like obviously they're good in the Marvel movies whatever but like it's there's so few of those movies that get made now and those are three of their best performances even yeah. like I mean like and they're all great actors like Mark Ruffalo I'm in a big Mark Ruffalo mood right now Mm-hmm. That, that new show, I know this much is true. You, oh, um, uh, been is that it? the one with the, the dirty water? Is that the one? Or was no, that the movie? That was the movie. That, I think it was literally called Dirty I know Water. Doing, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the show is um, by I, 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 the guy he made Play to Be on the Pine and Blue Valentine, Derek Kienfront. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but it's just it's like a mini theory to the drama. He played twins in it, but he's so good in that. And you're like, God, like, when's the last time I got to see him really do this? And it was probably Zodiac. And yeah. same thing with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Um, yeah, the pre-Iron Man. He's amazing. He completely, yeah. like, steals his bit of the movie. And every time I see him, I just want an Aqua Velva. <laughs> so badly. I still want yeah. to try one. Fuck, man. That could have been a good uh, drink for today. For drink time. time. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody got some blue curacao? Um, I got some Bailey. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think Robert Downey Jr., though, like, does not get enough love for this role. Like, the fact that a year later, people are catapulting him to, like, stardom and how he's made this great comeback, blah, blah, blah. But, like, man, Zodiac is amazing. And he's amazing. He's already doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, Originally, like I said, I brought up this name earlier. Fincher wanted Brad Pitt to play this role of Paul Avery, which would have been mm. interesting. But it, then he's doing seven. No. But <laughs> just no. Yeah, eventually no. he settled on Robert Downey Jr. I don't think that Brad Pitt would have not been able to do it, but I think something about Robert Downey Jr. in this role and he's just amazing in it. Like it's something you, believable. I 
he just like looks like him as well. It's weird. If you go and yeah. look up the real character, it's like shit. Uh, I also think it's his uh I think what helps is his cynical demeanor. Yeah. And also the fact that he was like struggling with addiction around that time, or at least coming off the drugs and everything. Yeah. So that being like, you know, he's drawing from some of his true to life experiences. Mm. Which makes his ending even more yeah. sad. You yeah. kind of lose the most out of all of them. Even though we're showing some love for Robert Downey Jr. at the moment. Oh, no. There was a lot of big I this, issues. I know what you're going to say, yeah. but go so, ahead. There's a lot of big issues during the filming of this, particularly oh, with Downey Jr. <laughs> because he was very pissed off with the number of takes that Fincher was doing. And he also did not like the digital cameras. Keep uh, going. He basically rebelled against it. And he was basically saying, having no time to get my shit together in my trailer. He was just so upset. Like, uh, so he rebelled by hiding mason jars full of urine on yes. set. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'd heard. I love that. I love the idea of him pissing in a jar and just leaving it in place. I think he closed and it. And just like, or just left it no, open. No, I don't think. No, no, no. He definitely no. left it open. So someone's like, what is that smell? Uh, <laughs> damn, this set stinks. Yeah. Well, you won't let me go back to my trailer, so I have to pee on that. But where did he get all the mason jars from? Yeah, did he just steal them from catering? Or did he just like good point buy loads of them in bulk? He was yeah, he brought them from home. He drinking like fucking money. moonshine or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> They're smuggling them in. Yeah. Well, even though Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Avery in the film saw Avery broken and haunted by the Zodiac case, in reality, the actual Avery went on to cover some pretty big stories including like the whole patty hearst kidnapping scandal and case and everything and he did deteriorate in health due to his alcohol and drug use and everything so that was pretty accurate but a lot of people were like hey man his portrayal was kind of unjust because he was still kind of kick-ass even years after he moved on from the zodiac case so yeah um but you know you know, there's always flaws in in certain films. <laughs> yeah, even Zodiac. Yeah, even Zodiac, and it's still a good film. But who cares? It's, it's, they can you know, cheat. Great, it's great. not fucking book report. Okay, <laughs> it's not like <laughs> Anthony Edwards. I really like Anthony Edwards. He plays Inspector Bill Armstrong. He, you know, he's from ER. I know him from like Revenge of the Nerds, and he was also in Pet Cemetery too. He's he's a funny. The second one. Yeah. Fun man, Pet oh, Cemetery what? Two is great. I'm talking about the original series of Pet Cemetery, like it had uh, John Connor. Wasn't there in just it. one book? Yeah, but they made a they made a sequel. You know, it's pretty oh, low budget. Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like Anthony Edwards a lot, and he does a great job in this film. And uh, Fincher was like actually neighbors with him, and he said, "I knew I needed the most decent person I could find because." He would be the balance of the movie. In a weird way, this movie wouldn't exist without Bill Armstrong. Everything we know about the Zodiac case, we know because of his notes. So in casting the part, I wanted to get someone who is totally reliable. And uh, he found Anthony Edwards to be that person. Do you guys have any thoughts on his character at all? Or is he just a bit of a non-character to you guys? Because he doesn't Wait, do he, a lot in the film, I guess. Who was he again? He's uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo's partner. Oh, no, so, he was good. I liked yeah. him. He's great. Again, like, it's not like the movie had obviously a great set of leads, but it had a really impressive supporting. 
Kath as well, like Keith Gray. I really like, um, I had to look up his name quickly. I don't know how you say it, uh, Elias Cote? Or Cote? Oh, 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 Elias Cote. Oh, yeah. 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 oh, never mind. I always say Cote, it might be Cote, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah. but he's great. He was fucking Katie Jones in the Ninja Turtle movie. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he was in Shutter Island, and he's just great. He's like never, yeah. in, like, he's never bad. Any big role? No, but he, <laughs> yeah, he's always great. Yeah, and um, I also like uh, another Bubble Boy reference. The yeah, guy who played the one of the suspects, John Carroll Lynch, Arthur Lee. Yeah, Leon. exactly. He played Jake Gyllenhaal's dad in Bubble Boy, yep. so it's like a little reunion there. Yeah. You? <laughs> no, I really need to see Bubble Boy based on like how much you guys are saying. About it. <laughs> I fucking love Bubble Boy. And Bubble it's Boy the perfect is quarantine movie. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like an upbeat uh, film for quarantine for sure. Definitely. Um, yeah, so you also have Chloe Savini, as we mentioned earlier. She's amazing as Melanie. She, she doesn't do a good. lot in the film, but she's still really good. Because, um, yeah. I mean, I guess with what what's going on, I mean, it kind of makes sense how she's portrayed in the film because it's like she's just kind of there in that whole line that, towards the end where she's just like, it, you know, it was a, a date that never ended. It's just like, holy shit. <laughs> like, what a so line. hardcore. I love that. <laughs> that, that bit where she just like, you're ignoring us, you're losing your family. And he's just, yeah. del- he's like waiting for a phone call or something. And he's like, not listening to her. And it's just, you really see it build. Like, you, she doesn't, yeah. I wish yeah. she was in it more, but she's able to communicate so much and how, like, it, the effect of going all the way down. Yeah, and I don't. I don't remember what happened with them. They don't stay together. She right? uh, they she leaves, but then yeah. I think she comes back after a while. I remember at the end it said he has a healthy relationship with his family, so I yeah. guess they reconciled. Yeah, I'm not sure if they got back together or anything, but at least like, yeah, probably on good terms. Because I mean, she seemed like she still cared for him and stuff. Obviously, she just thought he was putting like you know people in danger like them in danger and himself in danger by like reporting that he's going to make this book and this guy's like you know threatening them and all that calling them up and breathing yeah uh we we also have for the the other various police officers that are in the film that are like really stellar actors so you already mentioned elias kotehis but we have like dermot Mulroney who plays like sort of the chief character and he's like Apparently, he was made to wear a fat suit in the film, or like a, you know, a bit of a suit to make him look a little bit fatter because uh, Fincher thought he looked a little too toned. Uh, we have Donald Logue. I don't know if you guys know him. He grounded he like, for life. Yeah, grounded for life. Yes, yeah, love, I that. love that. Show, yeah, dude. I was. That's what I was going to bring up. But I yeah. absolutely love that show. Kevin Corrigan as well. Um, yeah, Kevin. Buddy. Yeah, amazing show. Donald Logue is great. Um, yeah, and then you have Brian Cox in the film as well. Oh, he was great. Yeah, and then Philip Baker Hall for the PTA crowd. Yeah, for the PTA crowd, <laughs> Philip Baker Hall as a handwriting expert, Sherwood yeah. Morrill. <laughs> and then someone I've never noticed until uh, uh, the other night when I was watching it is Dave Toshi's wife. Is played by June Diane Raphael. Yeah, from uh, How Did noticed. This Get Made. Yeah. And the doctor and stuff. Yeah. yeah it, that like completely shocked me. I was like, holy shit. So yeah, that was cool seeing her in the film and I never noticed it. It was really early in her career, but yeah, now she's got I mean loads of podcast. people show up. Like that kid uh in the car. Yeah. Who gets shot in the car. Is right? Lee Norris. 
Lee North, Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World. He would mink it from Boy Meets World, yeah. and I could. And it just freaked me out that like he didn't now in Nodia. It just yeah. dreams. Do you know what's even him. weirder? What is that? Like he's Minkus at first, this character from Boy Meets World, and then years later, at the very end of the film, that character comes back, and he's one of the McPoyles. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. From Minkus to McPoyle. You know, he got bullied out of Minkus into McPoyle. Yeah. Man. You'll call her. <laughs> Too many I'm TV so references. Lost right now. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. We jump from like Bubble Boy to Boy Meet World to Always Funny and there's no like train in between. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, in one of the Zodiac letters, he muses on who would portray him in a film about him. So in this film, he is portrayed by three separate actors, and in any shot featuring the Zodiac, the actors' faces are always out of focus or obscured, and this is served to keep the audience guessing and perhaps as a bulk to the actual Zodiac killer so that he wouldn't be portrayed by a visible or famous actor. So that's a good touch, and I didn't look up those actors' names. I'm sorry to those actors because you did a good job and you were creepy in the film, but hey, we're going to continue to not divulge Credit who you. the Zodiac yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't want the Zodiac coming out after us. Well. Yeah. No, I'm I mean, pretty sure he'd be dead by now, I think. Was <laughs> yeah. so it 60s, 70s? He's dead. Yeah, yeah. He's got to be dead. He's long dead. If there's one thing to feel good about, is that the Zodiac killer would probably be dead now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe. We'll get it to that. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> so uh, Fincher was pretty detailed in this film. So, like we've said that a little bit earlier, just down to things like the murder victims' costumes were meticulously recreated from forensic evidence that was lent to the production. They had trees that had to be helicoptered to the Lake Berryessa location. You know, the lake area, wow. like yeah. that pretty infamous scene, which is terrifying. <laughs> Really uh, scary, yeah. yeah, basically, since the area had changed a lot since 1969, so he wanted to resemble as closely to that murder site as possible. Pretty wild. <laughs> and if anyone would be watching, be like, the tree went there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get into the soundtrack. I mean, the film has such a ridiculous soundtrack. I mean, like, Basically, like he didn't envision an original score for the film, so he just wanted to fit in songs from the era, and it just kicks off with like Santana's Soul Sacrifice. It's <laughs> just so badass. I and mean, it has an yeah. incredible version of Easy to Be Hard by Three Dog Night in it as well, which is haunting in the film. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think of the soundtrack of the film? I loved it. I think um, Hardy Gurdy Man by Donovan just epitomizes yeah. it perfectly. Mm. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they'll everything fit the perfect it's like the perfect era of music yeah definitely. to have playing the background you know you got like flight blown um showed up and it's just it's great yeah it's totally well. it, it's part of i know it's a subtle thing that just puts you there immediately yeah puts you in the era but it's away. also it's also not like pretentious and overdone neither not like, the obvious song yeah the hips from the yeah like you know there's not like signs or <laughs> you know like <laughs> you know like i just feel like every film from that era i mean just look at like forrest gump's like soundtrack and it's just like you just 
would hear it's like a best of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just like repeat this. It just hammers uh, you over the head with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Fincher basically, like, like I said, you didn't want to have an original score, but his sound designer noted that there were places in the film where an original score was needed and it just would pull everything together. So they pieced in like segments of their favorite David Shire scores from the conversation and then all the president's men. And uh, they actually ended up getting the actual David Shire to come in and, and uh, score the film. And this is really cool. I never knew this before. And I kind of like wanted to rewatch it again someday and try to pay attention to this if I remember. But uh, Shire basically assembled an orchestra that consisted of musicians from San Francisco Opera and San Francisco Ballet. And he said that there are 12 signs in the Zodiac and there is a way of using atonal and tonal music. So we use 12 tones, never repeating any of them, but manipulating them. And he used specific instruments to represent characters. So the trumpet for Toshi, the solo piano for Graysmith, and the dissonant strings for the Zodiac Killer. I never like noticed that. It's so like subtle and it's really cool. That's really cool. Oh, and it helps like sh- sort of yeah shift from like era to era. Like the film in uh, like three section and it like starts within the Paperboy, the Robert Downey, and then the cops investigating, and then back to Gyllenhaal. And yeah. just each one is a different atmosphere and tone, and yeah, the music adds to that. I think. Yeah. Well, the film was released on the 2nd of March in 2007, and it opened <laughs> number two behind Wild Hogs. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the middle-aged crisis movie. <laughs> <laughs> it eventually made uh, $84 million worldwide on a $65 million budget, so it's not bad. At least it made its not money great. back, but it's not great. David Fincher was kind of upset by it, but he knew that, like, you know, the film would have its audience. And I think it certainly did eventually find its audience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it did decent on home release and stuff. And then, obviously, through the years, it's found a really big, strong following. And I've started to see a lot of people tweeting about Zodiac lately and mm-hmm. how it's just an amazing film. Yeah, because I saw it a year later. I didn't. I don't remember it coming out or anything. It was the film I thought discovered at uni mm-hmm. with a friend of mine who he loved David Fincher movie and like made me watch all of them. And when he showed me Zodiac, I was just like, "This is amazing!" Like I was annoyed that I hadn't seen it before, but it just yeah, great. So and then I immediately bought the Blu-ray, which I have here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And it's just like yeah, because you were you were talking about. The, the length and it could like this is the direct cut and it's just under three hours yeah but i can never tell when i watch it like, yeah like you would think like, it's just i can always watch it yeah they um, cut out like certain scenes um that would advance with time and stuff a little bit more just mm-hmm. to like cut it back and just have i think it was a few scenes that were like testing poorly with test audiences and stuff so they would cut them out and just add in like you know, title cards that say four years later or something like that to yeah. just advance time that way. But it's funny though, because it wasn't like a big hit, but like it was received really well critically. And it was like only behind No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood in the year 2007 of Those the, are like most, the best movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a year. Great year. yeah, yeah. So this is uh, basically on the most entries into the top 10 list. 
So they were number three behind those two films, which were like basically the pillars of 2007. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the year 2007 is absolutely great year. (laughs) My favorite year in film. Uh, I think Zodiac only strengthens that, but I mean, it's a crazy year. I'm leaving that out there as a little thing that's just floating in the ether. (laughs) And uh, maybe one day, if anybody listens to this and follows me further into the future, they'll understand. <laughs> John's uh, planting seeds. Yeah, I'm planting <laughs> seeds. Uh, but yeah, Bong Joon-ho has named it as one of his top 10 films uh, of all time. And he cited it as a masterpiece and oh, writing classic. that Fucking there's a. really nothing to find fault with about it down to the cinematography, art direction, and action. So, yeah. I think that was the thing, though, when it was coming out, like they didn't know how to market it as well, because it was like, this is from the director of Seven and Fight Club and all that. But like at the same time, you, they were like, how do we market this to an audience that wants to go see Saw films? And like, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. 16 year old kids are going to get pissed off if they want to come see some horror film and they get like this film that's really like a slow burner, you know, talky film. So, mm. but I mean, I bet now that they're, you know, 20 something, 28, 29 years old, they're going to be like, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm going to see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zodiac, though, when it came out, the Zodiac case was actually reopened. And I think, I, I'm not sure in all the places, but I'm pretty sure Vallejo County reopened it. And they were really good about helping out with this just because, uh, they really was hoping that the film would, you know, reinvigorate some clues and leads and all that sort of stuff and get people talking again. And maybe they could have a chance at like solving something after this, maybe drive out the real Zodiac. Who knows? And did they? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Fuck. That's what we're here to do. But before we get to that, it wasn't the first film about the Zodiac because there's been quite a few over the years. Particularly in 1971, there was a film called The Zodiac Killer, which took quite a few liberties liberties with the true story. But the director has said years later that he made the film basically as an elaborate plot to drive out the killer to the premiere so they could catch him. (laughs) Wow. That's like Argo. Yeah. Also, in 1971, there was a pornographic (laughs) film called... Oh, no. The Zodiac Rapist, oh. which is just not a good idea at all, at all. But uh, uh, I don't know. It was a John Holmes film, and uh, I've got two uh, two people on this call with me who have blocked their faces now. <laughs> it's such a horrible idea. Horrible idea. It's like nothing good can it's come from that. Sort of touch. Oh, <laughs> Wait, but was that also an elaborate? to bring him out <laughs> and they could catch him in the theater you know rubbing one out maybe maybe i don't know well i'm glad i know that now uh, uh, don't put that image in my head please sorry <laughs> <laughs> just a little levity yeah uh two years prior to fincher's zodiac a really low budget film that was starlight likes roy colkin uh justin chambers and robin tooney called The Zodiac came out 
And funny enough, this film also starred Philip Baker Hall as a police oh. chief. So I don't know. Maybe Philip maybe, Baker Hall. Maybe he uh, knows something. He knows something. He didn't. He he did this Zodiac because he didn't get it enough out of the first one, or maybe he's the Zodiac. Maybe and he'd like trying to cover a track. Yeah. Yeah, by being in all these movies. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Very suspicious. Well, because every Coke needs a Pepsi, in 2007, <laughs> there was a direct-to-DVD horror film that you could probably find in a bargain is, bin. Is it The Alphabet Killer? No. Well, there was Alphabet Killer. I forgot about that one. But uh, this one's called Curse of the Zodiac. <laughs> And it was just a slasher film. No. They don't sound like hardcore band names. Yeah. <laughs> and most recently, there was a mystery drama called Awakening the Zodiac, which still sounds like a band name <laughs> <laughs> from it's 2017. Like it's uh, like when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out. It's like three other like Manton murder movie came yeah. out. One of them had like oh, fucking I- Hillary Duff in it. <laughs> and you're like, just yeah. how many just of stop. you could you make? Yeah. The Hillary Duff one was horrible. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it was horribly exploitative. Like, they changed it so that she lives in the end, but not in the way that, that not in the way that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did. They made it all the dream. Uh, oh, that's worse. <laughs> that's worse. That's worse than the porno thing. Because that was always like, oh, the I had a horrible dream. weird oh. thing that I thought was weird, really strange about, like, Tarantino's version, anyways. It's just, like, kind of weird, but. At the same time, it's kind of fun and funny at the end. But, I mean, mm. that's just stupid. And also <laughs> the fact that they did it just purely because Tarantino did it makes it even yeah. worse. Uh, but this Awakening the Zodiac in 2017, this basically followed a couple who buy a storage unit and find evidence of the Zodiac killings and try to solve the case. <laughs> that actually sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's like the Fourth Awakened yeah. for Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> Ten like, oh, years look, we later. found this droid at the map to the Zodiac killer <laughs> and then they run into like old Jake Gyllenhaal and stuff like, like all of it all yeah. of it <laughs> alright well we know there's films about the Zodiac but let's get down to it alright guys who is the Zodiac killer do you guys have any opinions on it based on this film or anything you've heard hey, about Chris. or read about Ted Cruz. <laughs> yeah. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> no, it's that fucking weird guy at the end who tried to who brings him down to the basement. Oh, uh Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably All right. Yeah, what was his deal? Was he was the he complicit? Guy. Did he did he know who the Zodiac was? What that's was a, his deal? That's an interesting point. Alright, so that's a very scary scene in the film. It's when yeah. he meets this guy. What was this guy's name again? Um, Wait, I have, um, Bob Vaughn, yeah. I think. Hang on, I'll, I'm not sure Bob Vaughn actually exists in real life or anyone. I think it's a composite character. Yeah, they they did a few composites in the film, but that one in particular, I don't even know if he ever really existed because I think the whole point of that was just like, it was to show you how far Graysmith had gone. Like how yeah. he went so far down that rabbit hole that he freaked the shit out of himself. And like, you know, <laughs> jumped out of his skin and couldn't wait to get out of that door. And, and he went to a stranger's home. house. Yeah, don't I mean, do that. 
it's it's wild that he did that but like as like as soon as that scene's over it's kind of like nothing else happens with it and immediately robert graysmith is pointing fingers at the prime suspect who is arthur lee allen and he oh, yeah. the main suspect that's covered in the film his portrayal in the film is pretty true to life he was fired from his job as an elementary school teacher for allegations of sexual mis- misconduct with students. So he was a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> he was linked to being at the site of the infamous Lake Berryessa attack, uh, where the Zodiac was described to have been wearing that executioner's mask and everything. He had a Zodiac wristwatch in real life, and his friend, like in the film, Donald Cheney, did go to the police to tell them the wild story that Lee Allen had been describing about how he killed people and talking about how he pick off the little kids as they're coming off the school bus and that it, even that he'd send the letters to the papers to taunt the police and sign off as a Zodiac. Um, so that whole thing, who knows really? I mean, they don't really know. I mean, they kind of claim that this conversation happened, I think as far back as like J- January of 71, I believe. But I mean, or maybe 70, but that was after Zodiac had already been killing people and he was in the news and everything. So this could have just been like him making up the story for some reason. I don't know. We don't know. But maybe it was just so he could feel seen. Yeah. Even if it was just for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Arthur Lee Allen's a weird character. I mean, there's a lot of things that point to him and he is most likely the most definite Zodiac you know, suspect, suspects. Yeah. He remained the lead suspect up until his death in '92. I mean, he had quite a few more like weird encounters with underage children and stuff. Um, Robert Graysmith basically has continued to point the finger at him as being the most likely candidate. But Inspector Dave Tushy said in 2010 that uh, all the evidence against Allen turned out to be negative. There was DNA on stamps they tested. And that didn't match. The handwriting never matched. Mm. The one print they had never matched. So it was all like inconclusive. Um, so that's all they were going on. It's just like a lot of maybe evidence. <laughs> you know, that <laughs> nothing actually fit. But the thing you is, can maybe killer. Yeah, I mean, the print itself is really unreliable because they don't know if that was like done by a police officer or something on the scene. Exactly. So the one print they have, I mean they're testing that and then just other DNA samples and all that sort of stuff. There is a weird story about how Donald Cheney, his friend who turned him in had once been licking stamps for Lee Allen. And they also tested his DNA to the DNA on the stamps and that never matched either. So, I mean, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, We were talking about once upon a time in Hollywood, Charles Manson, He's also been linked to Zodiac. There's a few conspiracy theories out there that uh, Charles Manson and the Manson family were responsible for the Zodiac killings, which took place prior to Manson's Helter Skelter. Basically, one theory is that it's a big cover-up, and the CIA brainwashed the Manson family, and they were responsible for the Zodiac too. (laughs) Another theory is that a relative of the Manson family hired a detective... (laughs) who found evidence linking Manson to the Zodiac like he had an executioner's hood and all that sort of stuff. But Inspector Bill Armstrong, 
who Anthony Edwards portrays in this film, went to L.A. to check out these connections and found zero evidence. But was it like a cover-up, man? Was it all a cover-up? I don't know. <laughs> They're trying to pin it on Manson, man. Because <laughs> he's like a wizard from the desert. I really don't think Manson did it. He's too stupid. No, he's too sloppy. Yeah. Exactly. They went far enough to do this whole thing. I, I think it was... Um, Maybe I, I think it's so hard to solve because it might be a case of multiple people and yeah. a lot of copycats. And it's like, true, like all the different kinds of notes they were getting and stuff. And it's just like Chloe was saying, people doing, saying weird shit just to be seen, just to be yeah. in the public eye. This is the beginning of like, like huge media attention on crime cases. Yeah. And you see the number of like, the number of TVs in American households rises at the same amount of serial killers in America. Um, that's why it's really like fucked up when the news sort of um, encourages uh, almost violent acts when movies come out. They're like, yeah. oh, Joker, Joker's gonna, you know, and that's then nothing the, that's happened. The, exactly, yeah. but they're like, that's the place, that's the place. People, <laughs> stuff is gonna happen. And if they want people yeah. to come out and do it's it, good, they know people, they just want their name and. Yeah. Exactly. And kids messed up. They want to be on TV. They want to be in the newspapers. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm probably what that guy. I don't know. Arthur Lee Allen. Why not? Yeah. Well, here's a funny one. So, Robert Graysmith isn't the only Zodiac amateur investigator not out there. There's a man named Gareth Penn who. Film critic Mike D'Angelo said that Zodiac made an error in selecting Graysmith as their protagonist because Gareth Penn is the essential Zodiac authority. He also <laughs> hasn't figured out who the Zodiac killer is. <laughs> so Penn wrote articles in later a book called Time 17, which he theorized that the Zodiac had been selecting crime scenes in order to create geometric shape over the Bay Area in some weird art project. The theory was called the Radian Theory. It's pretty bonkers. I can't even go into like explaining it because it's hard to even understand. It's a lot of geometry and all that sort of stuff. I'm not even sure. He had really his gra- like grasp of the math and everything that he was trying to project and the other Zodiac sleuths out there have tried to project, but I don't know. Uh, basically, uh, he used this weird theory to, to accuse a Harvard professor named Michael Henry O'Hare of being the Zodiac because he stated that searching through the cryptographs on maps and killing sites, he yielded the name of an artist with the initials HOH. And he accused this poor man numerous times and even of killing another woman who disappeared from Harvard in 1981 and whose body was later found in Boston because of the geometry of the disappearance of the body matched... Like in in where the body was found matched the way Zodiac's killings were in the Bay Area. <sighs> so basically, he didn't get any closer than <laughs> no, not at all. He just accused <laughs> the college further away. <laughs> yeah, he somehow got further away. It's all math, apparently. Yeah, and some people even believe that Garrett Penn is a publicist for the Zodiac. <laughs> And that Michael O'Hare was the killer, and this was all some weird art project because Michael O'Hare's mother was some weird abstract artist or something. And then, right? Yeah. I love it. <sighs> so we're never going to have an answer. Is what no. you're saying? Because every time someone claims they do, it's actually just like <laughs> like edgy 
postmodern yeah. art performance piece. art performance art it's like Charlotte Booth with the bag over the head yep <laughs> I'm not famous it. anymore yeah I am not the Zodiac <laughs> uh, there's Ted Kaczynski he's the Unabomber ah so after yeah. some amateur sleuths started like to tell police about similarities between Kaczynski and the Zodiac when they caught Kaczynski in the 90s, they began to look into it and they discovered there was a lot of weird coincidences like he lived in the Bay Area during the killings and left shortly after. And then the similarities in the way they wrote and also Kaczynski would write newspapers demanding they post his writings and he kept complex coded journals and even like Kaczynski had once signed a high school yearbook with the symbol that was similar to the Zodiac crosshair symbol. I mean, I know people, we know people at work who do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fingerprints didn't match though. And it was all just apparently a coincidence. Um, but that's a very interesting theory. It's the one that's for me, I feel like the least crackpot of the most crackpot ones. Yeah. It's a nifty psychotic serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> each other um i mean ted cruz that's a a bit of a meme one that's going around and that's Mm. kicked off as far back as 2013 i could see it's mostly just because cruz sucks and he was stuck in that whole obama birther conspiracy fucking looked like the drawing yeah he does so i mean ted cruz was born in 1970 so he couldn't actually be the zodiac but i mean maybe his birth certificate's faked Show up the belt certificate, Ted. Another proposed suspect, and this is the most crackpot one of them all, is Nazi doctor, the angel of death, Joseph Mengele. And that's just straight up stupid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. There's people who think Joseph Mengele is like the Boston, like a Boston bomber, like so many things they think he is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's not but some people think Joseph Mingle is still alive <laughs> yeah I don't know I mean it could be anyone it could have been yeah. Elvin fucking Predley alright I'm gonna give know. you two of my picks of who I think it is alright All so right. one is a man named Ed Leslie at one point he was known as Brother Brutai and the Butcher before he had a bout of amnesia and he started hanging out with a crude called the Dungeon of Doom where he picked up the name The Zodiac. It sounds course, like a Sona movie plot. Well, we're talking about former WWF and WCW professional wrestler, the booty man himself, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and he is The Zodiac. Please put up a picture of him as The Zodiac this episode. Just so everybody knows. This Him and like Kevin Sullivan and Hogan and all of them. <laughs> no, but uh, when I was watching the film, I did think it would be really funny if Robert Graysmith was a Zodiac killer. Like, I was just like, what if he's the Zodiac killer? Like, yeah. just the whole thing is so funny because it's like he even says in the film, oh, you know, they like to help, you know. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> oh, you're really invested into this fucking crime. I don't know. We don't ever not see Robert Gray Smith where a Zodiac killing happens. So That's true. We never see him and the Zodiac killer in the same room. Yeah. So I was looking around to see if anyone else, you know, 
had said this, thought this, or whatever, and then I found that there was a few people out there that were putting it out there into the ether, and I kind of like it. And Brad on Goodreads gave a two-star <laughs> review of Robert Graysmith's book. He says, let's say you're a serial killer. Now, let's say what gets you off more okay, than I'm anything... <laughs> What gets you off more than anything except your killings is to taunt the cops with letters that mock their inability to catch you. You, of course, do not want to get caught, but there is always the possibility. Now, let's just say you just happen to work at a famous newspaper, one of these papers to which you like to send your letters. How lucky for you, or how wonderfully designed, because as a member of the paper, you're insinuated into the investigation, giving the access to evidence and actual police working on the case. Now, let's say you're an artist, an artist who is capable of duplicating the, the killer's writing. Goddamn. No one would later suspect you when you figure out how the killer writes his cryptograms. But then you take it a step further and announce that you're going to write the definitive book on the killer. Suddenly, you have more evidence being heaped in your lap, and now you're able to fix many of the mistakes of the police. No one would possibly suspect you. Now, you want everyone to know who you've killed, so you reveal all your victims in your book, suggesting they are possible victims, while knowing they are far more than possible. (laughs) How marvelously taunting. And how much more superior does it make you than the police? But it gets better. <laughs> okay, Brad, how does it get better? Can't wait. Now that you're writing the book, you can talk to the police in every county about their suspects. And you can choose the suspects they most like and speculate at will about the suspect's guilt, fully deflecting the investigation from within yourself while you gleefully go on with your life, writing about yourself in your life's great work until Hollywood comes knocking and asks to make a movie of not just your obsessive killing life, but your obsessive writing life. <laughs> Everything that you've written, the fiction of you and the fact that your killings is now being made by one of Hollywood's greatest living directors and unbeknownst to him or anyone else, you are the killer. It is the ultimate joke, the ultimate gag, the ultimate mystery. And you can now die as the most famous uncult serial killer since Jack the Ripper. Now, wouldn't that be something? I mean, that's one theory. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, imagine like fucking Robert Gray Smith just like looking at fucking Goodreads for some reason and he sees Brad's two-star review and he's just like... Fuck! Fuck. (laughs) I was so close. They're on to me! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, th- I mean that kid kind of reaching. I think yeah. Brad, if he's listening, he's reaching. But <laughs> I, I don't know. That'd be a fucking great twist to the whole story. Yeah, well, I'm sure they would have suspected him at some point, though. Like considering yeah. he's completely unrelated to the case itself, uh-huh. and he's suddenly like, you know, he's suddenly able to crack these codes. They must have had like some sort of like secret, like low key kind of investigation into him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they probably investigate everyone in that fucking newspaper. I'm sure yeah. Gray Smith popped up on a list. Like I, I think Tashi like popped up on a list at times, and there was quite a few. I mean, they had like thousands 
of suspects that they were looking at just because they were looking at everyone, you know, like they had no idea who it was, but like, yeah, Brad version read like the Joker. Like, you know what I mean like the ultimate joke but what I think you know I think the obvious suspect the person with you know who was able to recreate all these scenes with perfect detail down to the blood David Fincher <laughs> yeah there's a lot of new suspects that I think we've just added into Definitely. you know the universe David- now Maybe they can uh, reopen the case. Yeah, reopen that case. I think they should look into Ed Leslie, Brutus the Barbaric Beefcake. I mean, you don't hang out with racist hot dog Hulk Hogan for that many years and get ahead without, like, you know, doing some dirty things, you know? Mm. So I think we should uh, look at Ed Leslie. (laughs) You heard it here first. I mean, obscure AE wrestling superstar, evidently <laughs> the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, that's been the Zodiac Killer, the Zodiac. <laughs> that's been the Zodiac. Um, I'm sorry <laughs> that I read that whole thing. I just thought it was funny. No, no, that's amazing. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode out there, listeners. Um, and I hope you, Chloe, yourself have had a great time. Uh, yes, I have. What would you like to say to close out for uh, Zodiac about the film? Well, I guess it just it's just a testament to um, police incompetence then and police incompetence now. Amen. Amen. <laughs> like they literally walk past the the, the guy they when did. they're looking for someone else. They like ask him for directions. Yeah. While he he was covered in blood. Yeah. Yeah. Cops are fucking dumb sometimes, man. Jesus. Yeah. They were flying their best soldiers out there on the street that day. And uh, they, of course, in this moment, you're talking about the reason why those two cops did not stop the actual Zodiac killer who they saw, most likely, who was covered in blood, who's leaving the crime scene. It's because they were looking for a fucking black man. What the fuck? Like, people who called it in, it, they said it was white. They said the person was white. Why in the I fuck? Think they just, I think it's because they described him as wearing black. They just completely, like, canceled everything out and heard black. Yeah. And were like, exactly. oh, yeah, it's a black guy. We got it from here. Uh, 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 you know, it's just a good reminder to see how far we've come, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we talked about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Chloe, uh, what kind of stuff do you get up to outside the cinema? Like, do you do any arts or anything? I know you're talking about writing a little bit. And if you have anything that you want people to know about or uh, find online or anything, feel free to shout out. No? Uh, it is literally, well, right now it's just writing. It was archery as well, but, you know, because of lockdown, I haven't really been able to do that. You mm-hmm. could do it out the window. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Maybe not right now. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, once I've finished my really bad play, I'll try and bite the bullet and, and, and like expose it to the public. Yeah. Subject the public to my scribbles. Well, if you send it to us, we can shout it out on our social media. Yeah. But uh, do you have any social media that you're comfortable letting people follow you on or anything like that or any it's message you want to tell people? It's actually just Twitter. Yeah. That's it. I don't I don't have any I should 
Maybe I should make an Instagram. I, I, I load myself enough to make a TikTok, so I might as well like, get an Instagram <laughs> while I'm at it. Yeah, just go the full way. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, Chloe, I'm glad you came on. I hope you're doing well. Um, hopefully the cinema can open again someday and uh, we can all get back to work and uh, enjoy the vibes of the cinema again with everyone <laughs> and get to know each other better, talk about films more. Um, I don't know. We can do this again someday as well. You know? So uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, and if you do do Mission Impossible, can I please be a guest on that? Yeah. The Mission sure. Impossible series. Yes, I, I can't get enough of them. I binged them um, like a week ago and it's, I, I love them. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Guitar Tom Cruise is mad. <laughs> now that makes more sense yeah exactly because he could outrun any cop so. <laughs> <laughs> that's it printed out of the yeah. crime scene before we the police it. arrived exactly <laughs> <laughs> he's fucking gone he's like in another state by the time they show up <laughs> man a zero hour Phil's popping in with solving the case Get case it. closed Tom Cruise yeah. is the Zodiac so uh, Phil what are you up to where can people find you? <laughs> um, the usual spot. I'm at Fed on Twitter. Um, and apart from that, I don't know. You're trying to keep staying in the house, writing as well. Um, I don't know. It's like, you know, we get, I keep telling myself we're like past the worst of it or the longest part of it. And then more shit fucking happens and it's just like <laughs> I'm not even thinking about like that anymore yeah just, yeah um but no yeah they can find me usual places I hope everyone stays safe um if you know having fun yeah watch a movie um I don't know not thinking about uh serial killers as much as we have <laughs> yeah uh cool man yeah, and I am tall for all, T A L L, the number four, A L L, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I've just been trying to do my music and stuff, like I've been saying the last few weeks. Hopefully, I'll get back into the swing of things and I can finish up my album very soon that I'm working on. But uh, until then, uh, be safe, everyone out there. If you're going out and protesting and stuff, remember that we still have a uh, virus going on. Uh, so be safe and uh, do what you need to do to protect yourself and to protect other people when you get back home and uh, protect people for, I don't know, if you decide to leave again after that, I don't know, should we be quarantining after these, <laughs> these big massive protests? I don't know. But whatever you do, however you uh, want to feel better about what's going on, do that. Just be good to each other. Um, you know, I don't know. That's a weird time. But uh, if you like the podcast you like this episode i'm a, i'm sorry if it's weird but i mean it's a weird time so that's what you get uh you can let us know at the pcc podcast on twitter you can also follow us at that same handle on instagram or you can send me an email at podcast at princechellcinema.com i'd like to thank everyone who's been doing that the last few weeks it's been lovely to read things that you guys have been sending please send them in because like yeah it's just nice uh, I love you guys and uh, as always you can hit us up on patreon.com forward slash PCC podcast support the podcast um, enjoy that free Robocop episode that's about to come out at the same time as this uh, yeah here you go love you guys uh, 
I don't know. How should we sign this off? <laughs> what should we uh, say? Hey, Cub. <laughs> <laughs>